Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. The following episode contains graphic material and talk of suicide that may be triggering to some audiences. If you are in distress, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 to be confidentially connected with someone in your area. Crystal had been looking for a way out of her dad's house because of his volatile moods. She used a routine dad-daughter grocery shopping day to pre-plan shoplifting in hopes of being caught and hauled off to the police station to ask for help. Instead, the store manager released Crystal to her dad with a scolding and public humiliation from Michael Howell. After a fear-evoking threat in the kitchen, Crystal says her dad uttered what would be his last words. He told me to not even think about running away, that he would deal with me when he got up. And then my dad went and lay down for a nap, and that was the last thing he ever said to me. I'm Melissa McCarty. And I'm Kelly McClear. We are Emmy-nominated investigative journalists, and we've been talking to Crystal Howell since her dad's murder in 2014. Eight years after Michael Howell's murder at 25 years old, Crystal is telling her story. We bring you the exclusive series, Killing Dad, A First-Degree Mistake. Michael Howell told Crystal he'd deal with her after his nap. His former roommate, Holt, says he was a creature of habit, especially under high stress. When Michael couldn't take it anymore, whatever it was he couldn't take, he would lie down on the sofa, and he had this funny little old tie-dyed shirt that he had rolled up, He would put it over top of his eyes, and he would take a nap. Isolated on the mountaintop, in the midst of a strained relationship with her mom and sister, Crystal's mounting fears and her racing thoughts of what she felt her dad was capable of finally erupted, putting the teen in a state of panic. Um, that happened, I went into the bathroom and I locked the door and I got in the shower and I was just kind of panicking, I guess, like not really sure what to expect or what was going to happen. Like things had never really gone that far between us, so it, it seemed different, I guess. Like I was scared and I just started running the shower water and I wasn't washing or anything. I was just kind of standing in there trying to clear my head and figure out what to do. Like, I can't leave because I don't have a phone. I don't have a way to contact anybody to come get me or to tell anybody what happened. So in my head, I'm thinking, well, I don't want to die by being stabbed to death. So 
maybe I can just beat him to the punch and shoot myself and I won't have to deal with whatever happened. Because, I don't know, I was really worried about how things might play out because my dad had talked a lot about, like, torturing people, I guess. like, And so I didn't know, like, if I would be excluded from that or if that would happen to me. So I was just scared of what he might do. And I wasn't really scared of dying. I was afraid of the pain of it. So I stood in the shower for a little bit and I got out and I put back on the same clothes that I've been wearing. And on my way out of the bathroom, my dad's room was right on the right. And I walked in there and I grabbed the shotgun and I walked downstairs with it. And I was in my room at this point and I was kind of confused about the mechanics of this specific gun because it was kind of my dad's gun and I, I didn't really know how to work it or if the safety was on or off. I was kind of confused by that. But I remember I, I pumped the gun and a bullet had fallen out of it. And I, I knew then that it was loaded that it had bullets in it. And I remember thinking like, well, what's gonna end up happening if I do kill myself? That's kind of where my brain took me like, who's gonna be there to stop my dad when he goes through this stuff? Who's gonna be there to kind of calm him down? And what does this mean for my family? I was thinking, what does this mean for my dad's life in general? Like, would he be the one to find me or would he call the police and have them take care of it? And I was just thinking kind of about the aftermath of what suicide would look like for his life and the life of the people that I loved. I didn't, I don't know, I just panicked, I guess. And I remember my dad had talked a lot about wanting to die and dying in sleep. And I just remember kind of thinking, well, I mean, I can't be the one to give that to him. I don't really, like I didn't sit there and plot it out or anything. I just, it was an impulsive thought, I guess. And so when I was going up the stairs, like it was, I wouldn't say an out of body experience, but it was like I wasn't myself, like, like I didn't have control of what I was doing. And for a long while afterwards, like I didn't remember even walking up the stairs. I didn't remember what happened for months and months afterwards. Um, the next thing I had remembered was the gun going off. But it's like, in my memory, I can see flashes of what happened. I, I remember seeing my feet go up the stairs and I remember the gun being raised. And the next thing I knew, I, the gun went off and I dropped the gun and I ran out of the room back into my dad's room. Where was your dad, Crystal? He was sleeping on the couch. And how long, when you ran up to your dad's room, how long do you remember staying there? Was it hours? Was it minutes? And what were you thinking? It was minutes, and I, I just remember kind of breaking down. Like, I, I didn't realize really what I was doing at the time. Like, all I could think about was kind of like the things I've been taught growing up. Like, you don't think in the moment that life is just going to be over, I guess. Like, being a teenager, like, all I knew of death and stuff like that was what I'd seen in movies, so 
it's like when the movie's over, you can start it over and that person's alive again. You don't realize like it's over after that. And I just remember I looked out like of the doorway of my dad's room and I, I saw my dad and I just remember thinking like, what did I do? How did I do this? Like, who, who am I becoming? Like, because I've been fighting so hard my whole life to not become the way that my dad was and to not be violent and to not think that way and to kind of pull myself apart from that part of him and to know that I had succumbed to being like that, like it kind of broke me a little bit, I guess. And I just remember not being able to breathe. I, I like fell on the ground kind of like, like literally just all the weight of my body just fell down to the ground. And I remember thinking I have to call the police, I have to call the police, but I couldn't breathe. So I went outside and I went and sat in the driveway and just kind of try to catch my breath and figure out kind of what, 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 is, what is the next step from here? Like, what do I do? I, mean, I didn't know what to do. I didn't have a plan. I didn't think it through. It just happened so fast. Did you ever go and check on your father afterwards? I guess what I'm trying to ask, you know, also, I mean, I did, 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 after, you, um, did somebody, you shoot him in the head? Was it in the chest? Yeah, it was one one shot to the head. The only thing I remember seeing afterward was, you know, I, I looked out of his bedroom door and I, I saw him and I heard, like, his last breath. And I don't know, I guess that's something that's really haunted me, stuck with me. I'm not sure the right way to phrase it, but it's something you can't forget, no matter how hard you try. But I went outside um, to catch my breath and I was probably outside for maybe like 15 or 20 minutes. I would say around that, just kind of freaking out and crying and not sure what to do. I'm just kind of lost and in shock, scared. But before, before I ever went outside, I tried to shoot myself sitting on um, the table in the living room. And I didn't really know like how to do it or anything like that. Like I, I never looked into anything like that. Like I never Googled it or anything. So I, I had held the barrel of the gun with my hand and kind of braced it between my knees. And I put it in my mouth and I had pulled the trigger with my foot and the gun was empty and I like felt the the click in my mouth and I just remember thinking kind of like maybe it was fate, like maybe I wasn't supposed to die. Like I figured there was some kind of reasoning for that, but I, I, I didn't know what it was. I didn't have any sort of plan or I didn't, like I've never sat there and thought about killing anyone or hurting anyone. It just happened so fast that there was no thinking, there was no, it was basically like an impulse. It was just like there was no thought at all, like like an out-of-body experience is the best way I can think to put it. It's like I wasn't myself. With her dad shot dead inside the house, Crystal stumbled outside, fell on bended knee, and cried. 
What happens next is an encounter and an influence that led her down an unforeseen path that would dub her a callous killer, making headlines that stigmatized this case. There was this guy that I had known for a while. Um, He kind of came over sometimes when he was hungry or sometimes needed a place to stay for a while. I always kind of suspected that he used drugs, but I, I never asked. His name is Lindsay. Lindsay is not his real name. It's the name we will refer to him as because for the first time since her dad's murder in 2014, Crystal is revealing her accomplice. It's important to mention Crystal never intended to out this person. We pieced together who it was during our investigation into the case. Crystal, though, is still fearful of him. I'm a little bit nervous and scared because a part of me does think, like, what kind of retaliation could there be? Um, Like, what if he does something? Because whenever I was in county jail, I did receive a few threatening messages from him. So that worries me a little bit. But she confirmed his identity for us. I met him whenever I first moved to North Carolina at the movie theater. And I kind of brought him home and introduced him to my dad. And ever since then, like, he just kind of showed up out of nowhere. Um, so I, I'm sitting in the driveway and I'm still just freaking out, like, not sure what to do, not sure how where the phone's at, how am I even gonna call the police? Am I gonna have to walk down the mountain? Like, I don't I don't know what my next move is. I'm still just kind of having like a mental health breakdown. That's what it feels like. Like, I feel like the world is crashing on top of me. And I'm just sitting there and out of nowhere, I just hear the crunch of gravel under someone's feet. And I look, I look up and I see him and I, there's no gaining composure. Like, I can't fake my way through this. I can't pretend to be okay. Like, I, I'm that bad off. I can't just stand up and pretend that nothing happened. So, he sees me, and he sees I'm crying, and he's just basically like, what's wrong? Like, what are you doing out here? Where's your dad? And I remember telling him that I shot my dad, and he didn't believe me at first. He laughed it off like it was a joke. Like, because people who knew me knew that wasn't something that I would do. I'm not like that. And I told him, no, I'm serious. I need to call the police. I shot my dad. Like, I need to do something about it. And he kind of was like, you're not going to call the police. That's not a good idea. Um, You need to just take me inside and show me what happened. And he told me, basically, the police weren't going to care what happened. I explained to him, like, my dad cut me with a knife and I showed him my leg and the blood on my pants. And I said, I mean, it was kind of a self-defense. Like, I don't, I was scared. I didn't know what to do. And he told me the police aren't going to care about the story. They're just going to want to arrest you and ask questions later, basically. So at that point, I took him in the house and I showed him. And I don't think until he saw what happened that he even believed me. I think he still thought I was just being morbid, maybe. I don't know. But he was basically like, oh, fuck. Like, okay, it's real. And after I saw his reaction, I was like, okay, I'm calling the police. Like, I I need to get a phone. I need to call the police. And he told me, no, don't do that. I was just startled by seeing this. Like, I didn't really expect it to be true. 
And so he basically, he asked if I had a shovel and we went outside and he tried to dig a hole in the woods. But it was February and it was cold outside, so the ground was frozen. And so I'm just feeling this whole time like, I need to call the police, I need to call the police, like I need to do something. And there's this tug inside of me to do, I knew it was the right thing to call the police, but at the same time, I'm being told like, don't, they're not gonna help you. And I do still have that doubt in the back of my mind from all the times I've tried to go to them for help and not receiving that. And so I'm kind of on the fence, like, do I call them? Do I just pretend everything's okay? What do I do? And we're walking back out of the woods and the hole wasn't able to be dug. And he picked up the shovel and pointed at the shed and was like, that's our plan B, that's what's gonna happen. And I just remember feeling confused, like I didn't have a plan A, so how can I even have a plan B? Like I, I'm just kind of moving through what he's telling me to do because I don't know what to do, so who else do I follow? And from there on, the body was moved. My dad's body was put in the shed outside. Crystal, was this was this guy your age, or was he a little older? He was older. I think I think he was 25 at the time, if I'm correct. Lanzi is six years older than Crystal with a robust criminal record. He was known around the small North Carolina town, especially to Crystal's best friends at the time, Summer and Taylor. I know this person and I know who he was and who he is now, and it's not a good person. I never liked him from the start. I'll just be honest, and he knows that I don't like him. I I tried to stay away from him at all costs because he gave me weird vibes and because I knew his history. He had previously been incarcerated. Taylor had her own encounters with Lanzi. This sounds so bad because I hate being like, I'm not a judgmental person. I'm usually like, but 100% the kid you would look at in high school and be like, he's gonna shoot up the school. 100%, like trench coats, fucking like you're hiding guns in there. Like something bad is gonna happen and you're gonna be the cause of it. With Michael's lifeless body bleeding out on the couch, Lanzi took charge of a hysterical crystal and helped clean the crime scene. When he was telling you, let's use the shed, let's use this this barrel, do you remember what you were thinking at that time? I remember kind of thinking, like, it was disrespectful to my dad's body. I know that sounds weird, like, but I didn't want my dad to be in there. I didn't, I just wanted him to be alive, I guess. I, I was just freaking out. And, but I guess that was like my initial thought, like my dad deserves something better than this. Like, it's not fair that this had to happen and I couldn't undo it. And I just, it was easy for me to fall in line with what people say, like do this, do that. Like it was easy for me to kind of submit to people who, kind of authoritative over me um it wasn't about his age or anything it just I was so weak at the time like I was lost and I never made decisions in life for myself so if somebody's saying do this do that then why not do it 
Like, he seemed to kind of know what he was doing. He moved around like everything was okay. Meanwhile, I'm kind of freaking out. So I felt like it would just be common sense, I guess, to follow the guy that seems to know what he's doing. When you're going through the motions of actually putting your dad's body in there, um, were you shaking? Were you crying? Were you silent, numb? trying to stop what he was doing, like trying to pretend that this wasn't happening, trying to force myself to be okay. Um, I guess I was kind of numb, I guess is how I would put it, but not even that, like maybe numb on the outside, but on the inside I'm having like a war with myself. After her dad's body was placed in a bin in the shed, the two went back inside the house. We went back inside and we grabbed the couch. And the whole time we're moving the couch, I'm thinking maybe it's not too late. Maybe I can call somebody. Maybe I can get help. Maybe somebody can step in and do the right thing. But again, there was that tug of, well, I'm already this far. How do I back out of this now? I'm the bad guy in this situation. Like, there's no excuse for what I did. So nobody's really going to understand what happened. So we just began moving the couch um, through the kitchen and out the uh, door. And I remember my phone had started ringing as the couch was going through the door. And it was my friend Taylor, and her dog had been hit by a car. A bizarre coincidence. As Crystal is in the aftermath of killing her dad, her best friend Taylor witnessed a different kind of death. My dog, I watched my dog get run over. Um, And I called Crystal crying and I was so upset. And I said, I want you to come over now. You know, I need you to be here for me. Like, and no, like not even a fucking didn't even have to contemplate it. She was on her way to the house to come, I mean, just console me and tell me everything was going to be okay and spend time with me. I remember thinking, like, maybe she had an intuition and knew what I was doing, and I thought about telling her, but I didn't want to involve her. Um, She was kind of always a good girl. Um, I didn't really talk about personal stuff with her, honestly. We always just goofed off, so I didn't know how to approach that subject and tell her. So I just told her I put the phone back into my waistband, and me and Lindsay went over to the side of the mountain and pushed the couch down the mountain. And it just kind of tumbled. So we went back inside, and... um. He had been wearing gloves, and I had oven mitts on my hands, so I I took those off and handed it to him, and he was basically picking stuff up. Like, he picked the the shell off the ground, and he put it, dropped it inside of the gloves, and he put it back in the garbage, and he pulled the trash, and I said, I'm going to get my shoes on. I'm going downstairs. So I didn't take a shower or anything before I left. I just kind of... I threw on some clean clothes and I threw my old stuff on the ground and was just like, I'm not ever wearing that again. Like, I just threw it there and 
at this time, I thought maybe I'll just leave and I'll never come back to this house. Maybe I'll just pretend it never happened. But as we're leaving, I dropped Lansing off at the bottom of the mountain. And I told him, I was like, you, you need to get off here. I don't know how you're going to call somebody. You need to kind of figure out a way, a ride or something. She says Lansy was stunned being rushed out of the house after what he'd done for her. He left her with memorable parting words. When he was getting out of the car, he told me that I owed him. He was like, you owe me one crystal owl. And he said my first and my last name. And something about that just made me feel, I guess, paranoid maybe or worried. Lansy would reemerge in a way that would only make sense to those living in a small town. For now, Crystal headed to Taylor's house. How was your state when you arrived at Taylor's house? Were you holding it in? Whenever I got to Taylor's house, um, you know, it was kind of weird because I, I didn't drive, so... I remember lying and telling her that my dad was out of town because I, I didn't want her to ask me like where what's what's going on. I'm not very good at lying. Like I, mean, I don't know. I'm just not good at it. And so I figured, well, if I if I offer up a lie, then I, I will be caught off guard if she asks me something and I don't have an answer to it. So I just told her my dad's out of town, and I remember hugging Taylor because she was crying because her dog had died, and. I started crying too, and you know, it's common, your friend's hurting, you're hurting, so I didn't really have to explain away my tears at that point. Crystal wasn't allowed to drive her dad's Land Rover, and her friends knew that, so she piled on lie after lie, telling them her dad was in Georgia for work. Later that night, Crystal and Taylor went over to Summer's house. The three best friends gathered to support each other, but they had no idea whose grief and guilt they were truly consoling. We were hanging out with Summer and her boyfriend who lived with her, and they were smoking weed, so I just smoked weed too, and I was like, maybe this will help. I'm not really willing to try anything at this point, like, because on the outside, I'm smiling and I'm laughing, but on the inside, I guess I'm crumbling and falling apart. And I'm just trying really hard to hold it together. Um, so Taylor had a curfew, she had to be home that night. So I was like, well, I'll take you home. And on the drive back to her house, it was just quiet and it was dark outside. And I guess my thoughts kind of got the best of me. And I'm thinking I'm gonna have to face this at some point. I don't wanna go back to that house. What am I gonna do? Like, I don't really have an idea of what to do. I, I'm kind of lost. I'm just drawing a blank. Um, and I feel myself like start breaking down. Like I can feel it coming. I can feel that I'm about to cry. I've never been an emotional type. So I'm just trying to hold it in because I don't have an explanation. Like I can't just sit here and say, oh, it's about your dog for the rest of my life. I can't pretend to be distraught about my friend's dog. So. We get to her house and I acted like my mom called me. I was like, I have to call my mom. Uh, I'll be in there in a minute. And so she got out of the car and went inside. And I just remember crying really hard, like feeling like I'm losing it. 
feeling lost, feeling angry at myself, angry at the world, just unsure of what to do, confused. And I'm trying to figure out, well, how can I cover this up? How can I figure out my next move? And I thought about all the times my dad had talked about committing suicide. And when I went inside, I was obviously upset and I lied to Taylor. And she just like says that my dad killed himself. She was shaking, she was crying. Like it was like, it wasn't a put on like, I don't know how someone could like put on that type of performance. Um, It was very genuinely upset. And um, we stayed at my mom's for like a little bit. My mom was in fucking shock too. The news quickly spread to Summer. I get a call from Taylor saying, hey, something's really going on. Uh, Crystal's mom just called and told her that her dad killed himself out in front of her house in Georgia. I was like, that makes no sense. What's going on? So they come over to my house. My parents are hysterical, trying to console her. I'm hysterical. Everybody's crying, freaking out, trying to figure out what's going on. She draws a picture for me of how he was shot. In the, at the time, in the moment, in my brain, my immediate thought was, oh shit, this is terrible. Crystal went back to her house to grab her dog, Teddy, and some clothes to stay at Taylor's house. Days after her dad's murder, it was clear she wouldn't be able to escape what she had done. I remember one time, afterward, I started drinking a lot because I kind of was having hallucinations and stuff. And so alcohol was around and I kind of drank a few times and got drunk to try to forget. And I remember one time I was drunk and I, I was going through videos on my phone and I remember seeing this video that I took of my dad and the dog, and he just kind of messed with me, like, to see him alive again, and I was sitting in the back seat of um, Taylor's boyfriend's car, and I was just watching it and crying hysterically, and, you know, when I'm crying, I'm crying so hard, it's quiet. Like, they don't hear me cry. And so when she looks back there, I'm crying so hard. She's kind of caught off guard, like, what's what's happening? What's going on? And I remember just telling her, like, it, it's my fault about my dad. And that felt like an admission, I guess. What would seem like a proactive suggestion from Summer to help Crystal get back on her feet would later become tabloid fodder putting a target on all of their backs to this day. After we've decompressed, we're talking, you know, just kind of chilling, hanging out. She's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe we should get an apartment in Asheville and we can, you know, go in together. Okay. So (laughs) being the person that I am, coming from the, the way that I grew up, I grew up in a way that you don't waste anything. If you have something, you use it. I was like, that's your dad's house. Why wouldn't you want to be close to him? If it's paid for, let's just stay there. Why pay rent when we could just, you know, we're eight, you know, 16, 17, 18 at the time. Like, we don't want to work. <laughs> Who wants to work? <laughs> Nobody wants to work at that point in their life. So that was sounding better by and better by the minute. I don't know how to go live on my own. So 
I don't really have an option but to go back. So I invited uh, multiple people that I went to school with to stay at the house and pay rent. The first set of friends to move in were Summer and her boyfriend, Elijah. We go up to the house to clean. We go inside. I see that the couch has been pushed off to the bank, which it was not previously pushed off the bank. And I asked about it. I was like, why is the couch down there? She said, my dad cut his arm with his machete and bled on it. So we just tossed it down the bank. I'm a redneck, so (laughs) that totally. um, And being from the South, that kind of sounded normal. People do stuff like that all the time or they'll burn their trash or just whatever. It's a pretty normal thing to see something like that. We go inside, there's like this huge, this massive, probably every bit as big as the living room, maybe the kitchen, even maybe even bigger. It's like this big black thick rubber tarp. I don't know. I question it and she was really like really weirded out about it. So I just folded it up and put it in the pantry and didn't think anything of it. Still uneasy with people living in her dad's house, Crystal gave her friends some house rules. We were not allowed to go in his bedroom. We were not allowed to um, really investigate the house that we were living in. We were not allowed in the shed, um, which I can understand not going in the bedroom, the shed. I don't really know why we would need to go in there anyway, but should we need to, we should be able to. Needing a few more people to help pay the bills to sustain the eight-bedroom house, Crystal agreed to allow one more girl she knew from school to move in. The decision would bring her back to the day she was desperately trying to forget. After that, we're kind of trying to find people that we know, that we all get along with, to be like, well, who who else is going to move in? And there was this girl we went to school with named and we were like, well, we'll ask her to move in. And she was, I think, 18 or 19 at the time, so she was an adult. She could kind of do what she wanted to do. And so we asked her at school, like, hey, you want to move in with us? Like, what's, what's up? And she was like, yeah, but um, can my boyfriend move in with us? And I was like, I mean, sure, I don't care as long as y'all, you know, share the same room. I don't really care. Taylor didn't live with us, by the way. She was just kind of in and out. She still was living at home. She was 17, not allowed to move out yet. And, but I was in the room talking to her, and she was talking about this guy, and she spoke to him with his first initial, like she didn't call him by his full name. Like, I just figured it was like a, a nickname or whatever. And so I listened to her talk about this guy, and the light, the light that's in her eyes is the same spark, I guess, that I recognized from when I used to do with Tyler and I used to talk about him. So I'm like, well, she must really be in love with this guy. Like, and she was a cool person. So I, I figured, you know, he's probably cool too. And so she said that he didn't have a car. We would have to go pick him up. Uh, he had been staying with his mom. And so I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, whatever, let's go pick him up. And we drive into town and pull up to this like trailer and she gets out of the car. I'm, I'm kind of socially awkward, so I'm, I'm, I just stay in the car. And I see the door open, and I see this tall guy, you know, kind of hover over her and give her a hug. And as he looks up over her shoulder, I see that the guy she's dating was Lancey. Your stomach must have dropped at that point. I was thinking, you know, a lot of the people that I hung out with were older people, 
So my friends didn't know a lot of my other friend group. Like the people I hung out with in school didn't know the other people I hung out with on a regular basis. So I didn't even think like maybe they know each other. It is a small town, but I'm still not thinking that. And it just surprised me. And I, I guess I was kind of like, oh shit. Lansy, the older guy who helped Crystal clean up the crime scene and who knows where her dad's body is. Coming up on the next episode of Killing Dad, what impact will Lansy have on the House of Teens? He got to a point where he told me basically, like, this is the amount of money I want to stay quiet, and if not, then it's over for you. And the now infamous party that had a sobering effect on all. She was raped that night. 